So, um, tonight we're in Ephesians, and I thought I could read it, couldn't I? I'll just look for it. Somewhere in the Bible. It's in here somewhere. Okay, so... Oh, it's it's great to be here. I normally hang around in the morning service, so it's a real treat to come here without any kids. That's great. (laughs) Um, So, tonight's reading is the end-ish of... Chapter 6 of Ephesians, page 112, if you've got that. Um, And it's following on, I guess it's the last bit of the armour of God, which we might come back to this evening. So I'll just read it. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind... Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. My goodness, they are powerful words. Uh, so I know you've been um, camped out in Ephesians over the last couple of months, looking at the different bits of the armour and taking your stand. And um, so we're looking at this bit tonight, the theme being waiting for the king, watch and pray. And so Ephesians, the way I've approached this is Ephesians, uh, it's an interesting, quite, quite amazing letter, really positive uh, and so when Paul is saying these things at the end, praying, I've been sort of thinking, well, what was going on in Ephesians? What would have been in his mind about when he's talking about this praying? So we're going to look, hook into bits of Ephesians earlier on tonight. And I suppose also for me, I've in preparing for this, I've looked a bit at the, what Paul's situation was at the time, and I felt quite a lot of compassion for for the man and in a way it's really spoken to me um, so a bit of tonight is sort of a bit of my journey <laughs> preparing for this talk so I have some uh, slides that may work okay so you might be able to see this so Paul was in prison when he wrote the letter to the Ephesians, which was a sort of manifesto to churches in the area. So he wanted to say important things because, as you'll see when I talk, this could have been the end, end of his life. Um, And so this picture here is an archaeological dig in Rome of a Roman prison from the time of Christ. And you might be able to see the hole in the roof. So they used to lower the prisoners down into these places and there was uh, no light. Uh, Roman cities smelled horrible because there's no sanitations, so prisons were even worse. There could be other prisoners in there with you. There was no loo. It's really hot. So they weren't great places. And the purpose of prisons in uh, Paul's days was different to uh, prisons now. Um, and the idea was that if something went wrong... <laughs> The Romans just like put you in there indefinitely while they thought about what to do with you. So you didn't know how long you were going to be there. And 
Um, and if you were Jewish and you were in prison, you get no food, basically, so you could just die. Um, if you were Roman, as Paul was, helpfully for him, then you may get food, and so you may not die of hunger. So it's quite a serious deal going into one of these places, scattered around the Roman Empire. And Paul was, this time in Ephesians, Paul was in this place for a long time, probably months and months and months. And just think about this is the, the chap who kind of wandered around the Roman Empire, all these roads, lovely fresh air, and yet he's ended up in here. So it's not a, a great place to end up in life. And you might think, well, why was, why was he in there? Why was he in this uh, prison? And that's because part of the gospel is about announcing Jesus as the true king. And that all other gods and all other human powers are just inferior to him. And Paul preaching that message in Ephesus, in the Roman Empire, led to this like horrendous riot at one point. And you can read about it in Acts. And Paul and his co-workers were chased off around the city, and he ended up in this prison. And so scholars think that when he was there, he was probably on trial for his life, effectively. So he was in prison facing an uncertain future. He wouldn't have known how long his captivity would have lasted, and I'm sure he had had anxiety of knowing that it could have ended in execution at any time. So it's a confusing thing when you think about this. How has this happened? So over the last 20 years, Paul had been going around announcing that a new king was in charge, Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, God embodied, and whose kingdom was above all others, including the Roman Empire. Evil had done its worst to Jesus on the cross, but Jesus had overcome it, been vindicated by God at the resurrection. Yet here Paul was, in a city with numerous temples to other gods, and in prison on the receiving end of Roman imperial power. Paul was suffering as Jesus did. In fact, his very suffering as Jesus did made him feel that he almost like that which should be expected to happen if you're a follower of Jesus. The human kingdoms then, like now, still have power and there are still darker spiritual powers at work. But Paul knew that one day Jesus would return and when the chips were down, this was probably all he had to hang on to. So when I was reading about this, I just felt very moved <laughs> for this, this, this man. We have a tendency to elevate Paul as almost some kind of superhuman figure. And actually, as we'll come on to, I'll give you some verses in Corinthians. It wasn't all good, and mentally, it wasn't all good for him either. So keep this in mind as we look at uh, waiting and watching and praying tonight. This was the context that Paul wrote Ephesians in. And so there's, I've got three things you're pleased to hear, uh, three <laughs> Church of England things. So we're going to look at watching and waiting tonight, what that meant for someone like Paul, and there's this theme of exile in the Bible, which we'll come on to, and then armouring up through prayer, 
we'll talk about. And then last of all, how waiting in the dark times, we need to pray for boldness and to not be afraid. Okay, now the next slide. Oh, not that one. <laughs> Great, thank you. Okay, so first thing, watching and waiting, way of the exile. So watching, uh, waiting for Jesus is not a passive thing. It's an active thing. And, and Paul's experiences highlight a feature of the Christian life. This idea of exile runs throughout the Old Testament, starting with exile from Eden. The Jewish nation eventually fell to exile, the Jewish kingdom. And the kind of Jews came back from exile, but yet they still felt they were in exile because of a series of foreign powers. And then the Romans were around at the time of Jesus. And Jesus, interestingly, how he lived his life with his followers. And he didn't say, he said, we need to avoid violent rebellion against the Romans, which had happened before Jesus, rebellions, and it actually happened afterwards. And he taught his followers that you need to love your enemies. It's a very easy thing to say, but in reality, it's a very hard thing to do. And it's an act of will rather than an act of feeling. And he also said famously, you pay taxes to Caesar. But Jesus wasn't just a sort of, right, it's just be kind of just in the culture. He was also kind of different, stood out from it. And he stood up to corrupt power. He was eventually rejected and crucified. But the resurrection shows that his way of doing power, his way of living, was unstoppable. So we know that one day Jesus will return. That's what we're waiting for. And leading up to Christmas, reminder of that. And one day the kingdom of God will fully be here. The new heavens and new earth will come. And God will put everything right. But in the meantime, we live in this in-between time. And we need to be watchful and alert. We're called to be part of this community in Western, in the United Kingdom. We have to, unfortunately, pay taxes. <laughs> we should be getting to know our neighbours. I mean, this is a great thing that we're all together in this place. The people of God, the living temple. But we need to be out to our neighbours, getting to know them. We should be contributing to society we live in. But there is this, yes, but we're not exactly the same as this society. We're still called to stand up to authorities non-violently and call out injustice and oppression. So that's part of what it is to, to wait and to be watchful. But there's another aspect of living in society, and I don't know if you were here this morning, but Wes was talking a bit about this. So I thought, that's quite interesting that he's talking about this, because I'm sort of talking about it as well. <laughs> How did that happen? But so there's a reality of being in our culture, what it is to wait for Jesus, of the fact that there's idolatries in our culture. And we're part of this culture, so they they could be in us too. And so we need deep prayer 
and openness to the Spirit to be examined by this. So there's the idolatry of putting other things before Jesus. Maybe our wealth and our money. Maybe this strange thing in our society of you've got to be self-sufficient and not reliant on anyone. Which is crazy if you think about it. But that's, I'm sure that's there. I'm sure we've encountered that. A lot of people can look for meaning in career. So I've heard this phrase, careerism. <laughs> it's almost like a, a philosophy that you can think, right, this is all about my great job. That's my career path. That gives me purpose and meaning. We can also kind of live for our families. I mean, I've heard so many times on the radio, some people saying, yeah, everything I do is for my kids. Now, obviously, it's really important to show unconditional love <laughs> to your, your children. But that isn't our sole vocation. And I guess that one of the most insidious things in our society that can get us while we're in this waiting time is this, and particularly this time of year, unthinking consumerism, particularly insidious and deadly. So I encourage all of us tonight to take the opportunity to be examined by the Spirit about the parts of our lives that are not centred on Christ. I also encourage us all to seek wisdom from Jesus as how to live out the tension of being part of this world and yet being almost called out of this world as well as a different people. Like living as an exile, almost. As you watch and wait for Jesus to return. Okay, so that's sort of waiting. Two things there. <laughs> so, um, the next slide. Okay, armoring up through prayer. So I know you've been looking at the uh, armor of God, which this verse 18 is part of. So it's connected. Um, and sometimes waiting and watching for the king is, is really hard, like it was for Paul as he sat in prison. You know, we can face real opposition from the dark powers that seek to frustrate God's plans to redeem and rescue people. The preceding verses in chapter 6 talk about, give you this picture of this armour. And this armour is needed. <laughs> it's really important. Needed in the face of these uh, forces. And prayer, how we pray, is connected to putting on that armour. Prayer is woven throughout Ephesians. It's just a way of being, almost, for Paul. He doesn't, he doesn't say, ever say, this is, right, this is how you pray. Here's a program to achieve it. Because it's just part of who he is as a person. It would have been something he would have done right from the start. So when he would have sat at his um, parents' knee, or his mother's knee probably, she would have said the first thing, here is, this is what it's all about. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. The Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So that's what, that was in Paul from the start. And you might remember that Jesus said that in response to someone when they said, what is the most important command? Although Jesus added something onto the end. 
which is quite interesting. <laughs> so, so that's woven into Paul's life. And Paul is encouraging the recipients of this letter, which would have been Christian communities in and around Ephesus, to pray for themselves and for the broader church. So prayer is a habit that we need to cultivate in all seasons of our life. Prayer to be fortified, alert, and ready. It's, a, it's so important. You know, if you're going out there, living, trying to live faithfully for God, you don't start putting armor on when you're already in the battle. You need to do the work before. Cultivate these patterns of thought in your mind, these disciplines. And this is, with all you guys, such a great place to learn how to do it. And to actually do it. So another thing about chapter 6, and this has spoken to me when I've been thinking about what to talk about tonight, and particularly, you know, what, you know, what important things to pray for. What would, if Paul was here now, what would he be saying to us? Is that it's important to pray for what areas? And I think, <laughs> I think one thing that's quite important, and, and that is, um, unity. Unity in Jesus and the oneness of the body of Christ. And I, it's a particularly important thing, I think, to pray for, because it's something which is so easy to fall apart. So, um, you know the next slide? Is that all right? Okay, so I'm a bit of a Lord of the Rings uh, geek. Uh, <laughs> and I've tried, how can I crowbar the Lord of the Rings into tonight? So I, I saw this, is, this might work. This, this picture, or it might be not at all. So does anyone know possibly which film that's from? Which Lord of the Rings film? No. Which one? Yeah, you can come again. That's good. So he's, good. he's a geek as well, so that's very good. So <laughs> good work. So yeah, so, so in the first film, there's this point, right, where they're all meeting up uh, at this place called Rivendell, which is quite nice, I hear. And, uh, and they're thinking, right, he's got, he got this, 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 this evil ring, this malevolent force that we need to get rid of. And so they all, they all pitched up and had a big discussion about it. And then in the film, it shows them they all start falling out with each other about, about what to do. Um, and, and often they bring up historical grievances and factions and different ideas what the right thing to do was. And they weren't really listening and arguing. And Frodo, who's like the main, I guess, protagonist, he's like looking at the ring and you can probably see the reflection of all the people arguing. And he sees this fire coming round the ring, the fire of the disunity of argument. So, so unity is, is tough. It's really tough because we so easily slip into factions. And I, I don't know about you, I first became aware <laughs> of, of, of factions in the, well, mostly in the world of politics when I was eight. So I've got this next picture now. Okay, so you might, might recognize these uh, two individuals. So um, that's Margaret Thatcher um, and Neil Kinnock. And so I, I grew up in, 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 my, ho- in my home, and, and these, these people were like the, the main people at the time in politics. Um, I remember, you know, they were on telly and stuff. 
I didn't understand what they were talking about, but it seemed really important which side you were on. And so my mum uh, was conservative, so she's from Kent, so I think it's a bit like that. And, and, and my dad is from Oldham, up north, and it's very Labour. Uh, so I don't know what's going on there. So, so they, were, they were like very different. And, and I just remember this very strong sense that you had to pick a side as to which side you're on with these two individuals. So that was my first sort of time that I came across this sort of tribal, factional thing. And, and when I became a Christian, I was about 13, um, for me, I'm sure you want your stories here, it was like going through the wardrobe in Narnia and discovering this whole new world that I didn't know was there. So just astonishingly blowing my horizons. And, and when I went to university, so I was, I was like that, I was great, living like that. But when I went to university, I, I came across factions in Christianity, which I had like, never encountered before. And I can remember it became very important at university as to whether women should lead or not. And it became very important as to when you get baptized and whether you had to speak in tongues to be a real Christian. So I can remember all that, and I had never come across that, the, those questions before. But it became the thing at university, seemingly, that was the most important thing. It's very strange, you think about it, because clearly it's not the most important thing in Christianity. And also, I don't know about you, but I've sat in sermons sometimes, not here, hasten to add, where other types of Christians, so typically often to be Catholics, are mocked as being outdated and inauthentic and legalistic. So these tribal factions are often formed around fear, fear of the other, and they're held together by dehumanizing and demonizing other groups. And you know, the truth is, (laughs) is that we are formed around an other who is very different from us, the holy creator God. And yes, fear is part of that. However, this holy God knows you. In fact, he knows you better than you know you. And he loves you with passionate, self-giving love we only see dimly in this life. But praying for unity, it doesn't mean that we're all the same. It's not about uniformity. The church is meant to be diverse. You're endowed with so many gifts, talents, so much to bring. And all the other churches across the world have got so much to bring to the body. It's almost like I've, I heard this theologian, Scott McKnight, and he described the church, strange ideas, like a salad. <laughs> and, and, you know, lovely bits of vegetables and tomatoes and all that stuff. And, and then you, the kind of the oil of the good salad, the good dressing, brings out all the flavors without drowning out, drowning it, drowning it out. And that's what we need, the Holy Spirit, bring out our flavors. So the, the gospel is for all, all people. It reaches across ethnic barriers. It makes a mockery of status. 
It draws in the broken and the downtrodden. You know, the early church was an astonishing mix of different people who would never normally have associated with each other. And, you know, as God works out his plans for us and this church, as we look to faithfully and prayerfully follow him, we shouldn't be surprised who might not start joining our church family, probably people not like us. And this is, this is really hard. And church unity is fragile. The dark spiritual powers, like in Ephesus, look to strike hard. So this is why continually praying for protection against dark dark powers and for unity helps armor us. So, you know, tonight we're going to have a time of prayer, which we'll come on to. And you might want to take the opportunity to pray for our church community that we can stay unified, but embrace diversity of what it is to be one family in God. You might want to pray for the Holy Spirit to bring out your individual flavor. You might be here and be carrying the pain and confusion of conflict with other Christians, or even you may have experienced rejection. I also encourage you to pray tonight. So, on to the final thing. Paul in prison says he's been thinking about what matters. Guys, come on, to stay unified, stay together. He's been thinking about that. Thinking about this now and not yet tension, what it is to wait for Christ. So the final thing, for Paul this was a thing, and it may be for you or maybe in the future, and this is kind of waiting in the dark and praying for boldness. Oh. Excellent. So it's remarkable that Paul wrote a letter like Ephesians, as I hope you see from his situation in prison. And like I said at the start, you might think, oh, well, it's great for Paul because he was somehow he was just immune to all this stuff. This hardship just bounced off him. But we know that it was really hard for him. And I've got some verses from uh, 2 Corinthians. Next slide, is that right? Shall I put it up there? So I'll just read them out. It says Paul writing to the Corinthians around the sort of same time period as he was in, the, in Ephesus. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. So, (laughs) what would you say, what would you think, if someone said that to you? How would you pray for them? How would you pastor them? Serious stuff. So Paul shows us an important truth about waiting, about watching, about praying. Even when he was in prison, in the darkest times, when all probably seemed lost, yet he asked the Christians in Ephesus and beyond to pray for each other and pray for him to carry on sticking to God's work.
And this, you know, I hope that none of us end up in prison like Paul did, although it could happen. But this difficult times can express itself in many ways. Our relationships can go wrong. We can lose our job. We can experience depression, ill health, attack, and many other things. And yet, we can all still be part of the work of Jesus, of bringing his kingdom to this world. We can still live in hope. So at Sarah's, my wife and I, she's, um, she's great. She's listening. <laughs> uh, so we're currently working our way through a difficult situation in our, in our family. Uh, and it's, it's not easy and the way ahead is uncertain. And I, I have a tendency to be a bit of a fixer. It's like, right, okay, got a problem, just need to sort it. And of course, it's not like that. It's just not easily sortable. And despite this time of, I guess, difficulty for Sarah and I, Jesus still chooses to work through us. Um, and a few weeks ago, <clears throat> Sarah was listening to this online talk about the feeding of the 5,000. And part of, the, part of the story that moved her was this truth that you know, we give God a little and he makes up the rest. Um, so she had a, a moment when that happened <laughs> and uh, was moved to pray. And then her, her phone pinged on WhatsApp. So she's into WhatsApp and I'm sort of am. Um, and, and our street has this WhatsApp group. Uh, <laughs> And most of the time it's about people complaining about parking and, and whatnot. <laughs> um, but this time, one of our people in this group, uh, she just said, like, she was really upset. Because um, she got this letter. She, they're doing this, this building works. And she got this letter from the council that people had complained about the noise. And she knew who it was um, who complained. And it's this real conflict, real difficulty between them. And so on WhatsApp, the now is you get the message, and everyone's responding, going, "Oh, I'm really sorry about that. Sure, it'd be okay." So all these kind of words going around, and and Sarah's, oh yes, Sarah's joining in with us as well, and then she's felt this strong internal prod to actually go round to this person's house, person who was suffering, and just ask how she was. And Sarah, she told me how it's really is like all this pulling her over to do that, and that would that would mean. Sarah didn't, she's like, oh yeah, but if I do that, it's going to mess up the rest of the routine for the day. But she decides to go anyway, which is good. It's a good thing to do. <laughs> Act on these prods. And, and so Sarah went to the house, knocked on the door, and she went in, and the, the person was like in tears, crying and crying and crying. And she's got this uh, young child who's crying as well. Uh, and so Sarah went in and just stayed with her. You know, and often there's no answer to, to the bad things that happen. It can just be lamenting with someone. But Sarah was Jesus at that moment to um, this person who lives opposite us. And so that's the way God works. Even when we are down and things are difficult, uh, if we're depressed or we think that we're useless, he still wants to work with us to minister to the lost and the broken 
So towards the end of the passage, Paul says, Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. So in this passage, we see Paul asking the recipients of this letter to pray that he can be fearless and boldly keep on doing God's work. So we should all pray for each other to keep on with the work God has given us all and this church family. And even when difficult times come, God is still working and wanting to involve us. And we should pray to be alert to the promptings of the Spirit, to have a deeper sense of assurance that no matter our circumstances, so this is the Father's love, no matter our circumstances, God has a rugged commitment to be with us and for us and wants to work out his plans and purposes through us. Okay, so to kind of round off tonight, as we're moving to time of prayer in a minute, see what God does, it's very exciting. So um, as we wait for Jesus, remember that this time of year, it's December, when it becomes front and center of waiting for Jesus, waiting for the Savior, we watch for him and we pray. We live at times the way of the exile working out the tension of being Jesus to the world and yet being called out to be a different kind of human. And we need to cultivate the habit of prayer so we are ready and alert and armoured. We need to particularly pray for church unity and for each other. And we need to stick fast to hope in Jesus that in the darkness we can find him that no matter what our circumstances are, he wants us to join him in reaching the lost and the broken as we wait for him to return. We need to pray for each other to be fearless and bold as we live out our lives for Christ. And above all, through prayer, we approach the great other. And what do we find? We find that he knows us that he loves us, that he wants us to become fully human as we wait and watch for that glorious day when Jesus comes and all things are made new.